Hi, this is Eric Gurna, President and CEO of Development Without Limits, and this is Please Speak Freely, the podcast where we have honest conversations about youth development and education. Welcome again to Please Speak Freely. I'm Eric Gurna, your host, and I'm here in Seattle, Washington with Jesse Hagopian. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you very much for having me, Eric. Appreciate it. Thanks for doing it. Jesse teaches history and is the Black Student Union Advisor at Garfield High School, the site of the historic boycott of the MAP standardized test. So you all may remember that, uh, I believe it was last year, correct? That uh, basically, That's and I'm right. going gonna, gonna to summarize it the way I know it, but I haven't done in-depth research, so you can, uh, you can really tell us what happened. But Sounds good. Basically, uh, the teachers at Garfield got together, created some unity there about the fact that the the standardized test wasn't an appropriate measure of learning for their students and said we're not going to give the test is that about right that's about right that's that's it yeah (laughs) and it changed my life (laughs) well we're definitely going to hear about that um before we do let me sing your praises a little bit more from your um you know recent bio that uh you jesse you're currently an associate editor of the uh rethinking schools magazine that's right and a founding member of Social Equity Educators, and was also the recipient of the 2000... Jesse is a contributing author to 101 Changemakers, Rebels and Radicals Who Changed U.S. History, and Education and Capitalism, Struggles for Learning and Liberation. And is that, is that book already published yeah, as well? Yeah. But you have a new book you're working on, too, that we got to hear about. I am. I'm working on a, a new book about resistance to standardized testing and collecting the stories from all over the nation of people who have a better vision for assessment. Great. Well, I definitely want to hear about how your work ties in with work happening around the country. Um, but before we get to that, can you kind of briefly tell us the story of the the Garfield test boycott? Yeah. Uh, it started for me with a phone call after school. And I'm the building rep at Garfield High School for the union. So I'm used to getting uh, phone calls from members in our building with some kind of contractual dispute Mm -hmm. that they want clarification on. So I wasn't all that surprised that this member wanted me to come and and speak to them after school. Uh, But when I got to her room and she was like peering out the doorway Mm -hmm. and ushering me in and closing the door and up on her tiptoes looking over the divider, I knew there was something a little more to this mm-hmm. this request. And uh, Mallory Clark, our fantastic reading coach at Garfield High School, sat me down, looked me in the eye, and told me, I'm not going to give the MAP test this year. And it was a, a moment of elation for me because I'd been organizing against this test for several years. I got mm-hmm. a resolution passed in our union saying this test was an inappropriate way to to measure uh, teachers and it wasn't a quality assessment for students. And, mm-hmm. and so it really began there, but we went department by department organizing, finding out what do the math teachers think of this test? What do the reading teachers think of this test? What do the ELL, English language learners, uh, teachers think? And what do mm-hmm. the, the special education teachers? And there was unanimity that this test was inappropriate for students. Um, you know, the, the one of the math teachers told me that uh, they they teach ninth grade algebra, mm-hmm. but they're seeing geometry questions on the exam. Right, an exam that our evaluations are tied to. Yeah, yeah. And he told me that would be like if 
if a Spanish teacher saw French questions right. on their test, okay, right. it's foreign language, right. <laughs> right. but it's not the same subject, right? So this was the root of some of the problems. A, a test that's not aligned to our, our state standards uh, is going to be used to evaluate us. So we took, a, uh, we took it to the whole school, and we mm-hmm. had an all-staff vote after school one day. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but all, all staff means all teaching staff, or who's involved? Yeah, the entire... The administrators as well? Not the administrators. Everyone who was in, in our union. Okay. Uh, paraprofessionals, for sure. Okay. And... Uh, and all the and all the teachers from every department. So okay. we have about ninety teachers mm-hmm. at Garfield, and most of them were there mm-hmm. at the at the staff meeting. And you know, it was uh, one of the most electrifying discussions I've ever been a part of. It was uh, teachers talking about all the various problems they saw with the test, mm-hmm. uh, the English language learners. Um, cultural diversity not being respected on this test. The special education teachers talking about how this test was disregarding the individual education plans of their SPED students. Mm-hmm. Um, but the number one question they had for me was, if we refuse to give this test, if we take the step of yeah. boycotting, you know, you're the union rep, what's going to happen to us? And, you know, I wanted to say, oh, don't worry about it, let's just do it. <laughs> Because right. <laughs> right. I, because I'd been fighting this test for so long, and I was so excited that we were ready to organize against it as a building. But I, I couldn't mislead them or sugarcoat it, because um, I knew if we were going to win this struggle, people had to go in eyes wide open, knowing mm-hmm. what what could happen. And I said, those of you in the tested subjects, especially, could face reprimand um, up to. Uh, you know, being dismissed for insubordination. And those were not the words that inspired the staff to boycott the test. Uh, So Miss Gunn, a math teacher at Garfield High School, rose in the middle of our all-staff meeting, and she said that, I am sick of seeing this test label my kids and me a failure, a test that's not even aligned to our curriculum. Mm Mm-hmm. And she said, I would rather be reprimanded for standing up for what I believe in than just sitting back and letting this test run over us for one more year. And at that moment, I said, it's time to vote. And the entire uh, staff took a vote. And we, uh, we voted unanimously. There was not a single no vote. Wow. A, cu- a couple abstentions of people who wanted some more information. Mm-hmm. But the entire staff spoke with one voice. Uh, that we were going to refuse to give this test. And a little while later, we held a press conference at Garfield High School Mm -hmm. um, after the district didn't get back to us um, with, you know, we we asked them to to talk to us about this test one more time. And when we heard nothing, we called this press conference. And uh, after that, my life has been in chaos ever since Mm. (laughs) with just endless... Um, requests from parents, students, and teachers around the country to send Garfield teachers out to speak about our action. Thousands of emails came flooding in and letters and flowers and chocolates from from families and teachers uh, all over the country who have been abused by these tests and were so inspired by the action that we took at Garfield. Um, But you know, our resolve was quickly tested when the superintendent threatened us with a 10-day suspension without pay. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Garfield. Um, and again, um, it was scary for everybody, but especially the people we called the necks. Uh, the necks were the teachers in the tested sh- subjects whose neck was on the line. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and we we wanted to do everything we could to defend them, and we wanted to build the biggest possible uh, movement of solidarity so that none of our colleagues would would be attacked. And were th- was that mostly English and math? Is that yeah, who the, the yeah. necks are. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and ELL and SPED. Okay. Um, but yeah, and uh, the rest of us were known as the backs at Garfield okay. High School because we we had all their backs. Yeah. And, uh, but, but it was the power of our action was that it was a unified collective work. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't just of the teachers because, um, you know, quickly thereafter the PTA, the PTSA voted unanimously to support us in our action and the student body government voted unanimously to support us. And then the boycott spread yeah. to other schools. Uh, be, it went to Orca K-8. It went to Chief South High School. It went to, to Ballard. And we got some eight other schools. In Seattle. Uh, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that joined us. And, and the superintendent <laughs> freaked out at mm-hmm. this point. Um, he saw a full-scale rebellion on his hands. And he saw that his threats didn't work. And to me... One of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed in my life is seeing an entire staff lose their fear. Yeah. It's the type of thing I've I've taught my students about in class mm-hmm. when I'm recounting the civil rights movement or or showing them interviews of people who have participated where an entire population lost their fear and said, we're going to stand up for what we know is right, regardless of the consequences. Mm-hmm. And going to work became a joy every mm-hmm. morning to get up and go to school and see these people who were sick of being disregarded. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the where the education conversation has gone in this country, where all the people who are consulted usually haven't been inside a public school. Yeah. You know, and it was just beautiful thing to see educators say, we should be consulted about what is quality assessment. And if you don't consult us and you ignore our voice mm-hmm. after we pass resolutions, after we ask nicely for mm-hmm. year after year, then we're going to stand up. We have a way to assert ourselves yeah. into this conversation. And it was a beautiful thing to see. So I want to also get into what happened after that because it's pretty remarkable the the situation how the situation has changed this year i mm-hmm. think um but i'm i'm really interested in something you said you just alluded to that you'd been working for years on fighting this test before this happened um you also mentioned the civil rights movement and you know oftentimes people um reference let's say rosa parks and her refusal to to give up her seat on the bus and they don't a lot of people don't realize that she had, you know, been to the Highlander Center to, you know, learn about resistance and she had she was a skilled civil rights activist and that there was a whole context that she was in. She wasn't, you know, a lady who just one day out of the blue just said no more. And there was something that led to that and that she was right. linked to many other people. She That's wasn't just acting on her right. own. So I'm real curious to know what was that all that building work that you did that led to that dramatic press conference. Well, I'm glad you you asked that because that's the part of the story that I 
never gets told and that I think is really important to get out if we're going to replicate this type of action around the country and stand up for for quality assessment because it didn't just start last year for sure. Uh, there's been numerous organizing efforts around this specific test and around other issues related to education that I think played a really important role in in our movement. First of all, Mallory Clark had refused to give this test on her own surreptitiously hmm. for a couple of years before there was as stringent reporting mm-hmm. requirements. Uh, but this year... She had just, just not done it and not really mentioned, not really mm-hmm. made a big deal out of it, but just not given the test? That's right. Okay. She knew it was not giving her any information that yeah. was useful. Yeah. She knew that her kids, uh, she teaches uh, remedial uh, reading class, trying mm-hmm. to get kids in high school are often at fourth grade reading levels to improve. And she knows that this test wasn't helping her do that. Mm-hmm. And that actually her methods were much more... Uh, successful. Right. Um, but this year, the the testing coordinator told her the reporting requirements are going to require us uh, to give this test unless you have a better idea. <laughs> and turned out she did. So, um, you know, I think there was a culture at Garfield where many of us um, had our, had been opposing this test in different ways. I helped uh, pass a resolution put forward by a Ballard teacher, uh, Noam Gundel. That's another school here? Another school in, mm-hmm. in Seattle. And uh, that had happened, I believe, in 2010 um, when we adopted this test in the Seattle Public Schools. And we had a rigorous debate inside our union about this test. Some said that if we reject this test, if we pass a resolution saying it's not useful, the parents will revolt and they'll say, see, teachers don't want to be accountable. And we argued that that we do want to be accountable because we believe in quality education for, for everybody and that we can convince parents that we could get them on our side because parents are seeing the curriculum being narrowed to the few things that are on the test. Parents are seeing the inundation of the classroom with these standardized tests. Um, and, and the fact that this specific test, the MAP test, was brought to Seattle by a superintendent who also sat on the board of the company that makes the test but didn't disclose that <laughs> wow. when the test was adopted by the Seattle Public Schools. And what company the tune is that? Four million dollars, NWEA. Okay. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't just us that had a problem hmm. with that. The state auditor came and found that to be an ethics violation. Sure, but but still, the decision to to use the test was already in effect. Yeah, it went through anyway. Did that? Did that superintendent? Um, was he or she dealt with in any way because of that ethics violation? She wasn't. Um, Maria Goodlow Johnson, the late Maria Goodlow Johnson, um, sadly, she was run out of the Seattle schools for a different ethics violation for um, the belief that she knew that millions of dollars were being taken from the schools by a private entity, uh, basically just stolen uh, without her proper oversight Mm -hmm. um but in terms of this ethics violation it was allowed uh to go unchecked Mm -hmm. and that that really bothered a lot of us educators and we knew that 
that parents are sick of seeing no bid contracts to millions of dollars go out to testing companies that are profiting off of our schools money that we could use for reading coaches, right? You want to improve reading and math? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, you could add one more test. We mm-hmm. already have five required tests you have to pass on top of the map test that's given three mm-hmm. times a year. So we could add another test or we could use that money for a reading coach, after school tutors, lowering class size so we have more individual attention, right? And these are the arguments that we knew could could win over the staff. The the one other thing I'd say that we that laid the groundwork mm-hmm. for this boycott this year, besides that that activism around the map, I think was events that happened last year, the the, the previous year uh, at Garfield where the state legislature announced that they were going to cut $2 billion from schools and healthcare in Washington state. And a group of us teachers and the social equality educators, we went down to the Capitol along with uh, thousands of Occupy activists and unions who were protesting. And we got into the House Ways and Means Committee meeting Mm -hmm. where they were actually doing the cutting of the budget. And when they gaveled in the session... We stood up and we mic checked the room. We Mm -hmm. read out the state constitution and the King County Superior Court ruling that said that the state legislature had broken the law with regard to education funding already. So we said that we were actually in a crime scene, Mm. that they were breaking the law, and that we were conducting a citizen's arrest (laughs) of the legislature. Uh And at that point... um, the officer didn't believe in my interpretation of the law <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and arrested me instead. Yeah. And I spent the evening in jail and my students found out about it. Mm-hmm. And they launched a Facebook page, Free Mr. Hagopian, <laughs> unbeknownst to me. And when I got to school the next day, they figured it had worked. Right. <laughs> I sure. was freed. So they got bold and they changed it from... Uh, free Mr. Hagopian to walk out against the budget cuts. Wow. And in 24 hours, without any help from me or any adults, I didn't even know what was happening, they organized a mass walkout at Garfield High School with hundreds and hundreds of students streaming past me in the hallway with signs with a pamphlet about what the budget cuts had done to our school. Mm-hmm. And they delivered it uh, in a march to the mayor's office. Wow. And it really, I think, changed the culture at Garfield High School to where the staff was inspired by the students' collective action and standing up for their own education. It's really amazing what can happen when there's some unity like that. You know, it's incredible to hear the these unanimous, I never know how to say that word right, but <laughs> unanimous votes That's right. in support and in solidarity with, with the boycott and then the sort of independent action, independent related action of the students and others in other schools. And then I know that there's the, the Garfield strike has been hugely inspirational across the country. Yeah. Um, before I, I do want to get a little, I do have some questions about that, but I, I also want to sort of skip to now. So, you know, you went through this, this sort of dramatic part of the decision making and the public interface of it. Then there's a lot of media, if you Google. Your name, there's, you know, you're on MSNBC, you're on CNN, you're sort of speaking out um, about what's happening. Um, But it's also had some policy impact, at least some, um, I don't know if it's temporary or permanent, but sort of update us on that. (laughs) That was our slogan, and and I was shocked at the end of the school year, 
an email flashed up from the superintendent and buried in the middle of this long message was the fact that uh, the map test was going to be optional for high schools next year. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, when I read that out to the students, it was a eruption of, of joy, fist bumps in the hallway, spontaneous celebrations. Cause we had been threatened. We'd all stuck together and we won. I, you know, it was an incredible lesson of the power of, of solidarity over intimidation. Mm. And, um, and I, like you said, the most beautiful thing about the struggle was that it wasn't just a victory for Garfield High School, that this sort of took off across the nation. We saw walkouts in Portland and Chicago of students uh, walking out of the tests. We saw 8,000 parents in Long Island uh, opt their kids out of the tests. Yeah. Um, 13,000 in, in Texas marching against um, these high stakes tests, they had 15 required graduation tests in Texas, and they actually knocked it down to five wow. through this mass mobilization. They, they had a group that uh, in Texas that formed that became popularly known as Mothers Against Drunk Testing. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and the movement just erupted into what they called the Education Spring last year. And uh, I think we're still riding that momentum. And and there's other related um, activity in terms of the Chicago teachers' strike, um, the work that I recently featured on Please Speak Freely of the Providence Student Union, which That's is right. which is similar. Um, so, w- where do you think this is all going in a national sense? I mean, to me, that's the most exciting part that those of us directly impacted by the education system, the the people that are the constituents of the education system. The parents, students, and educators are asserting our voice all across the country. And I think we're going to see something unprecedented in U.S. history this year, especially this spring. We're going to see people refuse to allow Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation, Eli Broad and the Broad Foundation, Walmart family, the Walton Foundation. Those are the three biggest players in education policy. Mm -hmm. People who have never been on the inside of a public school for more than a visit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People who uh, want to privatize our schools with charter schools, who want to reduce the intellectual process of teaching and learning to a single number, use that score to label a teacher and a student so that they can close 50 schools like you're seeing in Chicago or deny students graduation, or fire teachers, um, people who really don't know what quality pedagogy is about are directing our schools. And I think this spring, we are going to see the largest eruption of grassroots activism uh, in defense of public schools than maybe we've ever seen. I mean, I'm hearing plans for a national month of action in the spring, maybe in, uh, in May when the most high stakes tests are offered. And I think the the number of parents opting their kids out of these tests is going to be unprecedented. I think the number of students who will be refused to uh, be labeled a number and the possibility for boycotts uh, beyond Seattle, I think is very real. So I'm optimistic that those of us who are the backbone of the education system will reclaim it and decide the direction we think it should go in. 
And and that's a big question, right? Because you mentioned pedagogy, which is not often talked about. The, the actual process of learning that's is right. not often um, even discussed in these sort of education reform conversations. If you you know look at the recent Education Nation that's right. um, on NBC, which I know you were featured on, um, there's not a lot of talk about how learning happens in the classroom and outside the classroom. And there's a lot of talk about assessment and accountability mm-hmm. and all, all these other things. But a, a, a criticism of uh, those of us who are fighting against high-stakes testing and, and all the stuff that you've been talking about, Diane Ravitch being the most high-profile activist, criticism of, of Ravitch and others is that they are defenders of the status quo, right. that they want to bring us back to um, s- some horrible yesteryear you know, the, and mm-hmm. and and to be honest with you, I, I sometimes um, relate to that criticism because I hear people talking about how we need to get back to something, mm. and I and I often feel like I don't know if it was ever so great. It's like the, <laughs> right. I never got to experience anything close to um, my vision for what education could be, except mm-hmm. in these like little moments, this one teacher in sixth grade, or this you know these little glimpses of wow, it can be like this, mm-hmm. you know. But for the most part, it's like, I don't know if we really want to go back to something, but we want to go forward to what, right? Because there's Mm -hmm. this vision that Gates and et al., Duncan, uh, um, Bush, (laughs) um, have have laid forth, and their vision is pretty clear, you know? Our vision, the, the vision of the, those who oppose that vision doesn't seem to get much airtime. We're sort of anti this and fighting against that. Mm -hmm. So, so to, once we have that, like, say next spring is how you just prophesized, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where do we go then? Yeah, excellent. Um, the first thing I should say is that those defenders of corporate education reform who claim that Ravitch uh, or me or, or this movement is defenders of the status quo, I think need to be uh, put in check very quickly by saying that the No Child Left Behind Act has now been in place for over a decade yeah so (laughs) maybe you could say that we were defenders of the status quo in the first year two three four five six seven eight but once you get over a decade now your policy is the status quo Mm -hmm. has it worked and Mm -hmm. i we can say definitively that we have seen a disastrous policy of test and punish right ravage the school system so at this point uh secretary duncan and the corporate reformers are the status quo. And I think you're right. We need to have a vision to undo the status quo and to move us in a place that we've never uh, seen public education in this country go before. And that vision has to be intimately bound up with a vision for what is quality pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And so I would say a couple things about what that vision uh, would look like. First of all, with assessment, we need to move away from standardized testing as the the god we pray to as the 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 sole arbiter of intelligence in, in our society what do you think about the current focus on uh college and career ready and are you talking about a way of reframing the purpose of education away from that absolutely i think that the the focus on college and career ready and giving grades to to schools and to colleges it's all about ranking and sorting our children and I'm about empowering them. I think we need to completely reframe the purpose of education. That first and foremost, the purpose of education has to be to solve real problems that we face in the world today. If, if our world was humming along, doing well, 
we could talk <laughs> <not>. about <laughs> we could talk about a different purpose for yeah. education. Yeah. But the problem is we face immense social crises in the world today, right? I mean, there's an epidemic of violence against women in our society today that goes unchecked and this sort of sexist misogyny is just peddled um in the mainstream media every day that feeds into this abuse. We have endless wars in the Middle East to where our country can spend untold amounts more to bomb children in the Middle East, but not to educate them here at home. <laughs> we have economic collapse so that in the world's richest country, we have one out of four kids living in poverty. I mean, that's obscene. That's just absolutely outrageous. And to me, the possibly the biggest challenge is climate change, mm -hmm. right? Because if we don't f figure out how to develop problem solvers in our world today, we won't have a world that's hospitable to humanity anymore. And this is a medium term to short term problem that we're going to face with millions of people projected to be re uh, climate refugees from island nations around the world uh, in the near term. Um, and then the future of humanity threatened uh, in the not too distant future. And I think that if we don't reframe the purpose of education to be about developing visionaries to imagination to foster collaboration so that we're working together i mean hello a government shutdown here we could use more collaboration in our world today people that uh, know how to work together to to solve the problems that we face today if we can't figure out how to make our schools about critical thinking rather than rote memorization and fill in the bubble then we're going to be lost as a as a country more importantly as a world and i think that if we take that as our starting point that education has to be about empowering our youth to solve the problems that they're seeing in the world today um then we can develop much better uh public policy around education that and much better forms of assessment and much better ideas for uh, how we go about empowering them. Do we want to uh, straightjacket them with um, 14 standardized tests for a kindergartner? As one mother in Chicago told me that her family is being subjected to, right? Or do we want to lower class size, um, uh, give great instruction to our educators and professional development that shows how to foster collaboration and move towards forms of assessment that can look at many, uh, many of th these skills. And I think that's the crossroads that we're at today. And I hope that, that that kind of repurposing of education can enter the mainstream debate through all this activism that's coming this year. Earlier, you told this story about the superintendent in Washington who was on the board of the testing company for the test that she brought in to use in that district, um, obviously profiting the company that she was on the board with. And as you said, that was an ethics violation. Um, that's one example, but uh, there's there's a lot uh, of corporate and commercial interests in the world of education, yeah. particularly when it comes to um, curriculum, uh, textbooks, and testing. That's right. And oftentimes those are one and the same companies that are putting those together. 
Uh, and lately, we've seen this sort of feeding frenzy of consultants around and others around uh, Common Core, right? So all of a sudden, everybody's an expert on integrating Common Core into your classroom, uh, even though it just came out. Uh, so I guess I want to ask you, do, do you give much thought to the corporate and commercial interests? And do you see a connection between that and the sort of hyper-competitive, hyper-hierarchical sorting system that that this that you mentioned, that the tests actually, the tests and the ranking systems actually um, encourage? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our superintendent was part of NWEA, but that's small potatoes in the in the world of uh, the testing industrial complex that's just become a behemoth. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry led by Pearson. Um, and we know that the Common Core initiative is really just a windfall for these testing companies because if you have the same standards in every state, then you can develop one test and sell it to every state uh, and the profit margins go way up. Mm-hmm. And I think that many times the assessments that we're given, the tests that we're using in our in our schools are not driven by what's the best way to assess what our kids know, but about who gets the contract and who's got the lobbying power. Uh, and I think that that gets it exactly wrong. And I think that we need to, to challenge these testing companies. We need to look into... Uh, the money that they're spending on influencing our politicians, and we need to raise our voices against that. And you just made me think of that. I never thought about this before, but there's a real parallel here between the the drug laws that were passed in the 80s and 90s with the over-sentencing of minor infractions, drug infractions, the um, disproportionate sentencing for, say, crack versus powder cocaine mm-hmm. that were advocated for by the prison builders, essentially. Um, there's such a parallel between that, which is so sad it, when you when you think about it. I mean, it shows you why we need to repurpose education to to solve problems. Because yeah. when you have uh, you know wealthy prison industrial complex lobbying to get prisons made, and then you have testing companies lobbying to get their product in, into the classroom, uh, you you have you create severe social crises. And I think um, I'm glad you raised that specific uh, case because I think the two are actually uh, linked in a very dangerous way because high stakes testing has been shown in in a new study in a, in a peer reviewed journal to actually increase incarceration rates in our country. Um, And so our kids are being tested out of school and into prisons And, and it happens in several ways. The first way is when their skills, their knowledge, uh, and what students really value is not respected in our classrooms, and instead uh, a very narrow ability to eliminate wrong answer choices mm-hmm. is is the skill that's valued. Kids rightfully tune out, and when they tune out in the classroom, then you see more behavioral problems and mm-hmm. discipline problems, and then you see the suspension rates rise, and then you see kids not graduating because they miss school and then you see an increase in in the prison population i think that's one very real consequence of these standardized tests i think uh, beyond that the graduation requirements the eocs or end of course exams that are required to pass to graduate are fueling the school to prison pipeline the kids who aren't passing these uh, end up in higher rates 
uh, according to the most current research in prison. And I think Arnie Duncan and the rest of the corporate education reformers have to be held to account for that. What do you say that the policies that you are pushing are leading to higher incarceration rates, right? Arne Duncan has said that education is the civil rights movement of our time. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot for me to take from a guy who also said that Hurricane Katrina was the best thing that ever happened to the New Orleans public school system Mm. because it wiped out the schools and allowed it to be charterized. But I do think he's right that it is the civil rights movement of our time. It's just that I don't remember that the civil rights movement was led by billionaires. And and I don't remember that the civil rights movement uh, contributed to mass incarceration. And and if I remember right, the civil rights movement was started with a boycott. And I hope that our boycott uh, also helps lead to mass grassroots activism in defense of our public schools. And I hope so, too. <laughs> right on. And I uh, want to really thank you, Jesse, for taking the time to be on Please Speak Freely. It's been a real pleasure. Right on. Thanks so much. Nobody believes me.